Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast in association with Charles Tirrett, who will be supporting the podcast in the build-up to the Ashes and across Wisdom's coverage of the series. Often known for their stylish shirts, it's worth checking out their knitwear range, including crewnecks, v-necks and zipnecks, available in a variety of colours and perfect for wearing to the office or even when you're at home. During this period, we'll be offering a discount code for our listeners. If you use the code WISDOM20 at checkout, as the code suggests, you'll get 20% off your order. That's code WISDOM20. We'll provide the URL for that in the description of the pod. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. Yaz is away in Fort William this week. He's probably picked a decent week to be off. So I'll be hosting today and I'm joined by former England captain Mark Butcher, Wisdom Cricket Monthly magazine editor Joe Harmon and Wisdom.com feature editor Taha Hashim. Last week, we recorded an emergency podcast the day after Azim Rafiq's testimony to MPs at the DCMS committee, uh, discussing his experience of racism and bullying at Yorkshire. Since then, there have been, well, lots of news stories, but two about Rafiq in particular. The first revealed him having made anti-Semitic remarks in private messages to another former cricketer, Atik Javid, when he was 19, and for which Rafiq has apologised. And the second, published by the Yorkshire Post, alleged that after meeting and drinking with a 16-year-old girl on a plane in 2015, Rafiq texted her saying that he wanted to, quote in the texts, grab you, push you up against wall and kiss you. And after she said, do you realise I'm only 17? He responded saying, does that mean it's not allowed to want to kiss me? A spokesman for Rafiq said to the Yorkshire Post that this was put to us late on a Friday evening. We need to look into this, so I cannot comment further for now. And there has yet to be further comment from Rafiq or his team. Butch... What was your reaction to Rafiq's original testimony and how, if at all, has that changed in light of the revelation since? Um, well, the revel- his testimony and the revelations within it don't change greatly. Um, the uh, the things that have come out since, um, I was kind of waiting for it, really. Um, you know, people have perhaps intimated that 
that Rafiq's own past is not whiter than white and he's, <laughs> which is an unfortunate turn of phrase, I understand. Um, uh, and he's held his hands up to sort of, to a, to a checkered past as a youngster as well. So, I mean, none of these things that wipe out, um, you know, what he had to say. Um, and I thought, he, I thought he was incredibly credible as a witness um, in front of the DCMS. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do, sit in front of um, members of parliament and, uh, and be cross-examined in that way. I mean, some people might say that they were that they were kind of, it was, an, it was a relatively easy interview, I suppose. They were kind of um, rather allowing him without a great deal of cross-examination to, to make the claims that he did. But I thought he was incredibly credible and the, and the testimony he gave was at times horrendous. Um, you know, I've listened to a lot of, a lot of stories like that um, in the last 12 months um, in the course of making the, the documentary that I made. Um, and so, you know, all of it sort of would be shocking to the core if you're hearing it for the first time. For me, it was just sort of like a, a sad um, reiteration of, of things that I've heard from different players of different backgrounds about their experiences within cricket. Um, I suppose one of the things that struck me about it was the, <laughs> particularly as it, as, it, as it pertains to Yorkshire County Cricket Club, it shouldn't perhaps come as a great deal of a surprise that a county as recently as 1990, who had only just started to allow people who were born outside of that county, should have um, something of a, of a difficulty in expecting people from elsewhere. No matter that they're, you know, they might be, um, you know, of South Asian descent or West Indian descent or whatever else it might be. <laughs> if you were from Derby, for goodness sake, you couldn't play for Yorkshire. And so the kind of the the systemic side of it, from from their point of view, perhaps shouldn't be such of a shock. Um, you know, the othering of, of people from other places is kind of inbuilt in their DNA, in a way. Um, and so, you know, that's not an excuse for Yorkshire, but it kind of explains quite a lot, I think, if you look at it from that point of view. Um, his, his testimony also, I thought, was, was interesting in the fact that he, he was at pains to point out that, that making... Um, making it about Michael Vaughan was the kind of was the most most obvious and most striking one. Making it all about Michael kind of rather misses the point. And I, and I sat there and I was nodding in agreement with him at that point as well because my fear has always been since the revelation, since people have been able to tell their stories and felt able to tell their stories about the racism that they have faced. Um, all the while that that was that that, that was kind of. Blameless is not the right word. All the while that there wasn't, there weren't faces or there weren't fingers being pointed directly at individuals. It felt as though the message was getting through to the point where um, the wider community was beginning to understand that the words and the phraseology and the things that you say and the way that you behave towards certain people have a lasting effect on people throughout their lives. In some cases, it goes on for you know. 30, 40 years after they, they'd retired, and that that message was, was slowly seeping through. But then as soon as recriminations start, you know, he said this 10 years ago, she said that, whatever it might be, the sort of he said, she said, the back and forth of the accusations now against Rafiq, the accusations against, um, you know, somebody as, as prominent as Michael Vaughan, then all of a sudden that, that wider message disappears and it becomes a slanging match between one side and the other. And all that does is push both sides further apart when what you're trying to do is bring them together. 
Um, it's been a heck of a mess, and I'm sorry if I've, if I've, I've hogged the mic and, and rambled on a little bit, but there's been, there's been so many um, thoughts and so many, um, uh, they're not conclusions, but so many ideas that have been thrown up by exactly what's happened in these last couple of weeks, and none of it's been particularly good, good for the game. I think Azim Rafiq has... Time, time will tell as to as to how this this plays out. I think the cause for good is there because the organisations, and this is the most important thing, have understood and have realised that the wheels have to be put in motion. They have to be put in motion damn fast to um, not to clear up the reputation of cricket because that's not what it's about. It's about actually doing something that makes these things better, that makes the abuse and the difficulty that people from different backgrounds have faced in getting into the sport takes it away, removes it. It's not a PR exercise to clean up the reputation of the sport. It's an exercise to clean up and diversify the sport for real. Um, and if Azim Rafiq's testimony and Azim Rafiq, the, this entire saga does anything, if it manages to go some way towards doing that, then all of it has been worth it. Yeah, to Taha, as Butch says, and as uh, was a theme of, of Rafiq's testimony last week, and it's, it's been kind of theme overall, that the focus should be on organisations rather than on individuals. And that goes as much for, you know, for, for Alex Hales or Michael Vaughan as it does for it, that Azim Rafiq should also kind of not be the focus as well. So I guess as, as much as, I don't know, people's opinions of Rafiq might have changed in the past week, uh, do you see those what what's come out since as having an impact or do you think the ball is now in motion and that it kind of can't be stopped do you think yeah i mean um whatever the the complications of the man or you know who's always claimed that he he was far from perfect um i think the moment he sat down um in front of those mps and started talking i think there was no going back from there whatever whatever comes out about him he's he's kind of he set the ball ball rolling. Um, you know, he's set English cricket on a path that he can't really can't really reverse on now. Um, we saw it last week when the they had the game wide meeting. They they know they that they have to address this, and even today we're talking um, about you know even after everything that's come out with with Rafiq, um, you know Jahid Ahmed, who a former Essex cricketer, he's opened up to to the cricketer and talked about his experiences. Um, and he, you know, he's quoted saying that you know this is why what Azim Rafiq has done is so important. It's opened our eyes. It's inspired us. Um, and he, you know, he cites Rafiq as the reason he's talking now. He's kind of set he set English cricket on the path. So it's and I think that that stems from what happened seven days ago in front of that DCMS hearing. Um, yeah. Well, in regards to the first of those stories, I spoke to Jewish News web editor Jack Mendel, who interviewed Rafiq on Friday morning after the story about the anti-Semitic texts broke. Hi, Jack. I'm, I'm sure you were moved, as we all were, by Rafiq's testimony last week. What, what was your reaction then when you saw this story uh, showing that he'd indulged in, I guess, the type of behaviour that he'd spoken out so strongly against? I, I think my initial reaction was... Um concern that it might undermine the, the the whistleblowing and the overall cause of rooting out uh, racism in cricket. As a, as a cricket fan, you know, it, it's very close to my heart. And um, I, I, I think it's fair to say my, my worlds have very much collided in the last few weeks. To, so to see this story emerge uh, was very concerning. 
I think uh, Rafiq's testimony, uh, you could you could hear in his voice that uh, it really got to him. It was very personal. And I think that there's a certain sincerity uh, that comes with that. And when I, when I spoke to him last week, there was absolutely no attempt whatsoever to, to caveat his apology or make excuses. It was a complete hands up. I'm in the wrong and I deserve everything that I get. Um, but also he, he showed a willingness to, to want to educate himself. And uh, since he's, he's been in contact with various Jewish community leaders, um, and I've, I've even had a number of requests to put him in touch with people, that there is a will to, to learn from his mistake uh, and to show that he, he doesn't want to lend any kind of credibility to, to his, his prior comments. He, he wants to show that he's a different person. Yeah, and I guess that's what's kind of been key in a theme running through this is that it's not about sort of uh, ostracizing people who have, you know, made comments that that, that are obviously wrong. It's uh, it's about learning and apologizing and, and, and moving forward, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think there is a, a principle uh, within uh, Rafiq's whistleblowing in general that uh, it's not about individuals. Even when Michael Vaughan came out um, and denied it, uh, Rafiq said in his testimony he doesn't he doesn't want to make it about Michael Vaughan and it's the same with his own anti-semitic comments it shouldn't really be about the individual it, we, we have to try and separate uh, people's past indiscretions from what has emerged from the whistleblowing and we, we saw yesterday that so more than 30 people have already come forward to the email address uh, saying saying that they've experienced uh, racism, so this has clearly had a, an impact. And you know, nobody's perfect. People have said things in the past that they might regret. Um, it shouldn't really deter uh, cricket from making progress in tackling this institutional problem. I guess that's the thing. And, and whatever you might, if if people's opinions have ch- have changed of Rafiq in light of the couple of stories that have come out, they still show that there's more racism in cricket not not less I guess um well, I was wondering moving slightly away from Rafiq I suppose it's often suggested that anti-semitism is, is received differently and less severely than other types of racism did you feel that that was the case with this news and with the reaction to it not just from Rafiq but from from others I suppose it's a, it's a difficult question to answer mainly because um there isn't a huge amount of anti-semitism in cricket and, that, and that's largely down to the fact that there are barely any Jews that play professional cricket. I can think of one off the top of my head. So it's, it's, it's difficult to address the issue when it doesn't, really, it doesn't really rear its head that often. I think Rafiq's response uh, was very important because it showed how seriously he took the issue. I, I, I think it was interesting uh, that this news came out amid other forms of racism also coming out. And it, I, I don't think it was treated differently. I think uh, from uh, within the Jewish community, Jewish community leaders uh, have supported Rafiq. They said that they supported his testimony and they also accepted his apology. So I think that this, this has been seen as part of a wider bid to tackle racism in the sport. Um, I don't think that it's, it's been seen as less important or, or different per se. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, you wrote a piece for, I think for, for Times of Israel and uh, you referenced that earlier in this whole case, 
Yorkshire coach Andrew Gale was suspended for an historical tweet in which he'd used an anti-Semitic uh, slur. We've sort of discussed and, and we've discussed now that sort of this is about sort of moving forward and kind of making the game more inclusive. Is, is there stuff that can be done kind of at all levels of cricket to make cricket more open to the Jewish community? I think that I think there is. Uh, and what Rafiq said when I when I interviewed him last week was that he'd never had a Jewish teammate. He, he'd never really integrated with the Jewish community. He didn't know any Jewish people. Um, and if, if you don't know any, any, any people from a certain community, you're not likely to know the contours of, of what's offensive or, or, or cultural, cultural norms, that kind of thing. And I think you, you see in football, especially, a lot of clubs will do work with different communities to try and educate fans and players alike uh, about, their, about their fan base. And cricket needs to have that conversation especially in Yorkshire, which has a huge uh, South, South Asian community. It needs, to, it needs to reflect that community better. And part of that is education. Yeah. And, and, and you're, you're a keen club cricketer yourself, but is, is it not something that you've, that you've experienced too much at that level? Or? I'd, I'd say the only time I've experienced anti-Semitism at club level has been at a university when people used to say, don't be Jewish with the T's, that kind of thing. And yeah, it, it, it is largely from, from, from ignorance. Comments like that uh, at university and in other clubs up and down the country are largely from ignorance. The problem is you don't want to be the person that gets the, the university cricket team suspended. You don't, you don't want to be the person that gets them into trouble. And that's why a lot of the time people won't say anything or they'll have a quiet word with one person. But it, it's, if it's a cultural problem, then it needs to be addressed on a much higher level needs to be addressed on, on a club level, for example. My own experience of playing club cricket in North London is I've never had a problem. I've, I've, had, I've, I've played against teams that have provided us kosher teas before. Uh, we didn't even ask for it, but they, they just, they, they saw we were a Jewish club and they thought, let's, let's provide a kosher tea. I think by and large in, in North London, it's not, it's not a problem to be a Jewish cricketer. I'm sure there's other forms of racism. I'm sure there's other forms of discrimination that takes place that perhaps isn't spoken about as much. And especially if you look at, if you look at Middlesex and Surrey, there are really not that many cricketers from ethnic minority backgrounds. I think there's a big conversation in London about uh, Getting, getting cricketers from ethnic minority communities into top flight cricket and eventually into the England team as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, th- thanks so much for your time, Jack. Uh, it's been great to speak to you. Um, there's been a bit of sort of murmuring about the two stories about Rafiq that it's been kind of some sort of smear campaign or, or, or and like a concerted effort to discredit him, uh, which personally I, I don't really buy into. I think both are definitely legitimate news stories with public interests. And there have been questions raised over the, York, the Yorkshire Post's reporting of Rafiq's claims and the whole story kind of throughout the kind of given a, almost like a lack of prominence to the things. There was one of their uh, correspondents was in a sort of back and forth with Rafiq on Twitter that was a bit sort of unbecoming. Uh, but, I also, but I also see how when someone gains more prominence than they've had before, that that's when people are likely to realise their interactions with those people 
become important and newsworthy. And I also say that on the second story, English cricket obviously has a problem with racism, but it clearly also has a problem with misogyny. I mean, if you think back to Alex Hepburn's rape conviction and the horrific details that emerged during that trial about the Dresham culture at Worcestershire, which you'd imagine isn't entirely unique to that club, uh, if this can spark a conversation around that too, then that is a, a, a positive. I don't know, Joe, do you, do you have anything to contribute on... <sighs> I don't think I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to make heads or tails of really, but so. Um, well, I know the Yorkshire Post and Rafiq have had kind of an ongoing uh, argument, essentially. And I know the Yorkshire Post ran an apology after his after the his appearance, saying they haven't kind of, they haven't reported it correctly, basically. Um, that said, we don't know how the, the story of, of the, the young girl at the time who, who, came, who um, came to the Yorkshire Post, whether that was dug out or whether she saw the testimony and thought, this is not a man representing himself fairly and therefore went to the Yorkshire Post. As soon as the Yorkshire Post have that story, they have to run it. I don't I don't hold I don't, I don't think they had any choice but to do so, they would have been aware that they were putting their head above the parapet again, having already been criticized for not um giving uh Rafiq's story enough enough credence. And the unfortunate effect is that there will be those who feel that those stories completely undermine what Rafiq said um and his allegations. I think those people in the minority I think the whole thing has moved on quickly and, and this has always been much bigger than, than one man. He wasn't in facing DCMS Select Committee because uh, he was racially abused. If that happened to every sports person who was racially abused, they'd be extremely busy. He was there because of how Yorkshire handled it um, and the, the essential, the attempt to cover it up and forget about it. Um, so I think whatever comes out and you know there might be more stuff in the next days and weeks, there certainly will be about other cricketers, even if it's not Rafiq. Uh, and there'll be a lot of cricketers who are, are worried out there about what's going to come next. But I still don't think that halts the progress that's been made over the over the last couple of weeks, couple of months. Um, at least I hope not. I, I, just, I just don't see, I think there's been too much momentum. There's too much focus on the ECB. There's too much focus on Yorkshire for everyone, everyone just to go back to what they were doing previously. I think one of the interesting parts of all of this is that, um, you know, thinking about sort of Michael Vaughan. Now, Michael Vaughan's a lot of things. You know, he, he takes takes the sort of the, the Piers Morgan um, uh, light um, Twitter personality thing much too far for somebody with, with the reputation that he has or should have had as being the Ashes winning captain in 2005 and can make a bit of a plonker of himself on there from time to time. But I played with him for what? With and against him for, for the best part of 15 years. And he's a lot of things, but he's not a racist in my view. Now... There's a very good chance, and again, I go back to Rafiq's testimony. There's a very good chance that guys would would say things around um, players, uh, you know, minority players uh, playing for Yorkshire, um, and not even realise they were doing it. So ingrained that it become, or so ingrained was it in in their culture that they why would they remember saying stuff like that? And he might well have said it. I might well have said something to to somebody at some point in my career. I don't know. I doubt it, but but it's possible. And if every utterance that people make um, in a in a dressing room or pitch side scenario becomes something that, that that you can potentially lose your lose your job over, then then there aren't going to be very many cricketers left. Um, again, none of, none of this is is excusing anything, but I think that the focus needs to stay on the organisations. It needs to stay on the on the, the changing of the of the infrastructure around where people come from to play the game, what backgrounds they have, 
how much how many obstacles are placed in their way in order to perhaps fulfill their dreams of becoming professional cricketers or even just playing club cricket i mean crikey if you if you think that um that the professional game is is the sort of the pinnacle yes and where the spotlight is going to be shining the fiercest imagine what it's like further down the ranks in clubs up and down the country and how difficult it can be for players trying to break in there. That is where the change from what Azim Rafiq has, has brought about will be, hopefully, will be felt most keenly. Um, it isn't going to be felt by popping your teammates over things that, they've, that they'd forgotten saying 12 years ago. That's just... And because, because what happens from that is you end up with this back and forth, this ridiculous claim and counterclaim you're morally corrupt, you're morally corrupt, you did this, you said that, and in the end of it, none of it can be proven and none of it does anything but, um, but create animosity and creates a situation where people are trying to, to discredit people's heartfelt witness testimony about things that hopefully will bring some change later on. This is about making things change in the future. It's not about destroying people in the, from the past. And Azim Rafiq now knows that himself because he's, he's had to stand there and hold his hands up. Yeah, well, as you, you're entirely right. And this what we discussed a lot that should, the focus needs to be away from individuals. I think we do have a, a sort of a duty to, to round up the stuff that, that's come out. So I'll just, I'll just do that quickly and then we can move on to the, the general discussion. Uh, so Alex Hales has denied there was any racial connotation in the naming of his dog, Kevin, but has apologised for attending a fancy dress party in 2009 in blackface his apology included the line uh, the theme was musicians and tupac is was and always will be my favorite musician so it is him which is slightly surreal line for an apology to include uh Bresnan has denied that he frequently made racist comments to rafiq which is what rafiq alleged in his written evidence to ali's employment tribunal which was made public following the dcms hearing uh jack brooks has apologized for using racist language in tweets from 2012 and two more critics as taha mentioned Zoeb Sharif and Jahid Ahmed have spoken out about racist abuse they received while at Essex. Ahmed described it as a white man's world where brown people were outsiders in an interview with the cricketer. Uh, there was also the news that 36 people have emailed Yorkshire's whistleblowing email address since it was set up just over a week ago, which is a lot of people, isn't it, Taha? Yeah. Um, it's weird because you, you don't want to hear that in a way, but it's also a positive. It kind of shows that like like we said earlier that the ball's kind of you know it's been set it's the the, the path is the path is there now and people people are hopefully going to open up about their experiences we're seeing it at Essex we we see we've seen it at Yorkshire we're going to continue to see it um and it, there's just no going back basically yeah as as Taha mentioned the ECB had a game wide meeting uh, i'm not sure any of us were invited but there you go uh, last Friday, uh, which culminates in releasing one of those statements that kind of just makes people roll their eyes a bit. Uh, from the looks of things, uh, there have been reports of a 12-point action plan that just wasn't ready to be finalised. This was kind of supposed to be a holding statement and there is sort of more substance coming. But they aren't especially good at that sort of... Uh, I mean, for, for, for an organisation which is so obsessed almost with the, the PR side of things and how they put themselves in, they're not that good at it, are they, Joe? I mean, that, yeah, that, we've become a, slightly used to these kind of statements from ECB, but when you're covering such serious subject matter, they really, really fall very, very flat. Uh, and it, yeah, it, it, it definitely, it smacked of kind of groupthink with no one knowing quite what they thought. So it seemed like everyone had their bit in there. Uh, and it was extraordinarily long statements, they absolutely nothing whatsoever, to the point where actually you felt like 
maybe they should just stick a paragraph. If they've really got nothing to say, just stick a paragraph out and say, we'll have more next week, rather than kind of going round and round the houses until you get to the point you realise they're not going to tell you anything. Um, and that was widely reflected in the reaction across the media, who I think were flabbergasted after the week that they'd had to see this as the, the limp thing that rounds off the week was um, was quite extraordinary. It was kind of one of those states, statements where it's like, I've seen this all before and you kind of almost, you're second guessing yourself as to like what actually happened this week because this is the kind of statement I would expected a few months ago, a couple of years ago where everyone just says, yeah, we're going to unite against racism. And it's like, like, were you not in the room <laughs> a few days ago? Do you not see what happened? It's like, if you're, you're not going to say anything kind of meaningful, we just don't. I do have some sympathy yeah. given the amount of different um, kind of uh, parts of the game that were involved in those discussions to come up with yeah. anything meaningful in the time they had was always going to be true, anything yeah. they came out with was probably not going to be accurate or thought through um, but I think people would have respected it more if you just said look basically we're not quite ready yet rather than pretending that yeah. huge developments have been made but don't, we can't quite tell you yet the, the lesson is don't PR stuff don't PR stuff. This this is not this is not a PRable um, event. You know, be one hundred percent straight and honest. And even if that is the if the honesty is around, listen, we haven't we've not been able to assimilate this yet. We haven't got we really haven't got a clue what we're going to do yet in order to to to, to solve this issue. The issue is too big. It's too ingrained for us to be able to sort out over the course of a two and a half hour meeting in the afternoon. Say that. Say that. It's exactly right. I mean, I mean, like, obviously they can't solve racism over sandwiches at the Oval in in, in one day. Uh, and and you're, and you're right that if, if the statement's just been shorter, I'm just going to pick out one paragraph, which I think. So it's it's just so because because most of it is fine. You know, it's apology to Rafiq. Uh, we'll publish some actions next week. But then there's one paragraph in the middle which just we stand together against discrimination in all its forms. Are united as a, as a sport to act. We will continue to listen and make swift, positive changes to the culture of the game. We will embrace and celebrate difference everywhere, knowing that with diversity, we are stronger. I think just if just remove that paragraph and it becomes a perfectly fine holding statement, but you have that and it's... And it's I exactly, think that was Tom Harrison's paragraph right there. That yeah. was the bit he was, get this in. I've got some good stuff. But I mean, the thing is you can't... That I mean, the word swift is just... It, it's kind of a lie, isn't it? It's a lie because you, because you can't do anything that fast. You can apologise very quickly. I mean, you know, if there's if there's been one lesson learned um, by everybody involved in this is that 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 a heartfelt non-PR'd apology immediately goes a hell of a long way. Again, Rafiq said that himself. I accepted. Matthew Hoggart called me. I accepted his apology. Fine, job done. If Yorkshire had found it within themselves however long ago it was, to have, to have held the hands up and said, you know what, we've, we've had a nightmare here. We wouldn't be where we are right now. And, may, you know, maybe, maybe, that's, maybe that's a good thing that they didn't do that. And maybe it's a good thing that we've got to this point. I still can't help but, but thinking that the little bit of introspection, a little bit of self-reflection, being able to hold your hands up to a mistake, which seems to be the most, the most difficult thing in the world to do in this, um, this, modern, uh, this modern time we find ourselves in. Um, things things would be a damn sight better than they are, and people could get go about um, could go about doing the things rather than talking about them, making statements about going about doing the things that will actually make some sort of a difference. But to say anything is going to be done swiftly is is you know it's just nonsense. It can't be. Um, but making people aware that that this will no longer be tolerated in any form. 
um, you know, is, is is the beginning point, and then and then you and you prove it by action, not by PR statements. Yeah, I, th- I think part part of the press dissatisfaction with that statement was that there had been reports leading up to the meeting that uh, that would be where the county chief execs and chairs, whatever, would sort of come together and kind of call for Tom Harrison to go. And it seems as if he's bought himself a little bit more time, perhaps in that meeting. And then when that happens, you can't really statement saying like Tom Harrison's like can't you know he can't have a vote of confidence in himself. Um, so I think that was also, and then, you know, you had the, the press gathering at the Oval to then hear this statement that's, that's, that's well, I mean, not much. In, in truth, who who's going to want to step into the, to that breach right now anyway? You know what I mean? He talk about him, him, quite well. him buying himself some time, but... These are bonuses. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get that, yeah. Well, yes, yeah, that was, you know, at, at the moment, it's come on, we shove him out the door and he can he can deal with it for the moment. And, and you wait sort of... Um, Caesar style in the background for for the time when it's a little bit more opportune, perhaps. Well, those haven't got a chairman as well at the moment, have they? I mean, you can't you can't all leave at the same time. I, don't, I actually I, I I don't think Harrison's position is long term is tenable, but I, I don't think the time is right to go now. I think English cricket needs someone in that position. Yeah. Um, anyway, on, on that plan, while there's been reports of what's contained within it, I think it's best to discuss it when it's published and finalised. Uh, so uh, tune into a later episode for that. Uh, the other big story of the week is Tim Payne's resignation as test captain as following the emergence of an investigation into uh, sex and explicit images he sent to a Cricket Tasmania colleague in 2017 uh, on the eve of his test comeback in that winter's ashes. Uh, that investigation, which took place in the middle of 2018, cleared him of breaching Cricket Australia's code of conduct and concluded that the exchange was consensual, though the woman that, that Payne was texting alleges that the image, at least, wasn't solicited. Uh, Mark, this feels like a scandal that wouldn't bring down quite a lot of politicians. Uh, can you can you explain why Payne had to go? Well, if you think about the, the circumstances under which he was brought into Captain Australia, that, that gives you all of the, the, the entire answer right there. Um, Steve Smith stripped of the captaincy in disgrace after the ball tampering episode, um, banned for however long he was. I mean, they went so over the top there that it was, that it was almost comical. Um, but Tim Payne comes in, as a as a sort of you know an unremarkable cricketer really um, for by Australian standards anyway to come in and captain the team because he was supposed to come in and be a you know this this sort of uh, this this moral beacon um, leading Australia and their uh, elite honesty and all the rest of it um, to uh, to the promised land and of course he said that happened about in the during the same in the same month that he was made Australian captain to do all of these things that that was what was going on in the background so. Um, so that's why that's why he's had to go. I guess it's because the, the the sort of not the hypocrisy of Tim Payne or the hypocrisy of his of his um, of his appointment. It's nothing to do with him really. It's to do with the, the the way that Cricket Australia has kind of tried to set itself up as this again as this. I used the words moral beacon a few seconds ago, but that's kind of what it is. Um, and and you know they come crashing down to earth just as hard as everybody else has. Yeah, there's been a reasonable amount of disquiet in Australia over Payne's exit with David Peaver, who was CHO at the time of the investigation, criticising the current administration for effectively going against their conclusion at the time, and with the Australia Cricket Association and Cricket Tasmania also criticising CA's handling of it. Uh, this feels more, it feels more like the story is about CA mismanagement and pinning the blame on players in a way than, than it is about Payne itself, do you think? Like, is, this, is, is, is the story more the cover-up rather than the original thing, do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, what's kind of interested me more of all this is kind of the sort of internal Australian cricket politics. Because, I mean, Cricket Tasmania 
Um, I think, I mean, today, I think the statement's come out where they've, you know, <laughs> Tim Payne's been treated appallingly. Um, there's a statement that says, um, you know, it's in from uh, Cricket Tasmania chair Andrew Gaggin, who says, uh, in conversations I've had in recent days, it's clear that the anger amongst the Tasmanian cricket community and general public is palpable. Um, so that's that's quite a yeah, it's quite a punchy statement from um, you know a, a state association in regards to conduct by Cricket Australia. So it's I mean, just you know one thing it's done though it's given it's 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 stopped Cricket Australia from having to to remove him for not being good enough to be in the team. But then the other thing is that might actually have done Australia a favour in the long run. But the reports seem to suggest that that he is going to be in the team, that he's not going to captain. So they've, they've, and if that is the case, they found themselves in a bizarre situation because the only reason he was in the team was because he was this leader. But it seems like the indiscretion has been deemed too serious to be Australian captain, but not serious enough to sack someone from the team altogether. So you're ending up in this kind of bizarre limbo where, I mean, I, I. I've not been Tim Payne's biggest fan, really. I think, I, I, but I do feel sorry for him. I think the framework around this kind of this unimpeachable leader, kind of captain Australia, who's going to rid, rid Australian cricket of all evil, is not really his fault. I, I do think he, I do think at times he's played up to it. I think he's perhaps got caught up in the whole thing himself. And but I don't take any pleasure from from his kind of demise. And I think it. It's going to be quite a miserable. I mean, he's saying what to go out on a high, winning the Ashes. Well, well, yeah, but that that you're kidding yourself, really. If that's how you think it's going to be remembered, Payne has acknowledged that on a couple of occasions this story has come up. He's thought it's going to be published, and he's basically been kind of living in fear and anxiety that this will all come up at some point. Which again, slightly begs the question. I'm su- I'm surprised that he's continued in the role as long as he has. And obviously, like I completely understand, it's, it's tough to resign being Australia captain, and that would have created some interest in itself. And he obviously didn't want to let position go, but it does just from a personal point of view, he can't have been having much fun over the last couple of years. If 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 this is what he thought was going to come out at some point, and his career was going to come crashing down around him, so they're either very serious or they're not. There's no sort of middle ground with this. It's either a very serious thing to do to send pictures of your private parts to to a female member of, member of staff in your in your team, or it's not. There's no sort of oh well, you know maybe maybe this is okay. Been kicked under into the long grass until now, four years later, five years later, which I, which. I'm not making any judgment on that. I'm just saying it's interesting. Um, so, Joe, you, you mentioned that you haven't been Tim Payne's biggest fan. Uh, what, what do you think will be his his legacy as Australia Test captain? Because, you know, before this, as you said, I think he'd be seen quite differently on different sides of the, the world where we sort of look at this guy and think, why is he in the team? Australia fans look and think, like, this is the guy that kind of rescued us after after ball tampering scandal. Does that, how much has that been diminished, I guess, by what's happened now as well? I mean, at the moment, it feels like it's been diminished hugely. I do think as time goes by um, and his kind of tenure is reflected upon, I think it will be largely looked upon quite positively and certainly a bloke who got given the job. I mean, I think everyone knows he would have never got this job if it wasn't for Sam Papergate. In no other circumstances was he going to end up being Australian captain. And that's a difficult position to be in. He, he would know that he, on balance, probably doesn't deserve his place in the side. He's been trying to keep a... a a kind of fractured team together at times and, and they've come out of it okay really he's, he's done all right I mean I think he's you know he's he's not a, he's not a test batter as such he's he's underperformed in that sense but he'll be remembered as as a captain uh, and his name will always be I think will much be, be remembered more to do with Sandpaper Gate than what's happened over the last couple of weeks um, in the sense that and I suppose there is still there is still an opportunity if he is indeed going to be picked on the side, which which does seem odd, 
you know, he could go out and score some runs. He could go out and win an Ashes. He can actually play a leading role in that. There is still a chance for him to kind of uh, alter his kind of legacy to an, to an extent. Um, but yeah, we haven't talked it's, about who will be the next Australian captain. I well, mean, that's quite we're, we're, we're coming got to that. that. But yeah, it's a... I was just going to say, it's be interesting to see if, if they don't pick him, is that basically an admission that this guy was just in our team because he was our captain? Well, I, mean, I think it, that, that's why Australia almost feel they will have to pick him because otherwise it is an admission that this that they, they, yeah. they've held the line, which a lot of people haven't believed that he's this guy is the best government in the country. Exactly. He's the best option there. And he's not done terribly, really. Uh, an average of, what, 32 something mm-hmm. as a keeper? That's, you know, that's, that's okay. It's about what Joss Butler averages, yeah. Um, I do think it's probably overstating it to say he, he rescued Australian cricket after San Pedro Gate. There's still a test side that has lost two series at home in the last few years. Um, sure, they regained the ashes here, but um, that England team wasn't anything spectacular and they drew that series too all. So, you know, I'm not, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that he, he was the saving grace of Australian cricket. Mm. Uh, so Pat Cummins looks likely to be the front runner to take over. Uh, Butch, fast bowlers aren't usually considered seriously for captaincy positions. And that seems to kind of be the only argument against Cummins. It's been kind of amusing to see him being sort of uh, canonised as this like a, you know, saintly amazing individual. And that was kind of exactly the issue last time. Yeah, but, don't, uh, don't do that. Yeah. But, but what, what, why is it an issue for a fast bowler to be a, a captain of a cricket team? Um why? I mean, well, simply because because fast bowling is such bloody hard work, um, physically, um, and and mentally, mentally as well. But but sort of if you, you you couple the two things in a way, as a fast bowler that you don't really have to deal with as a as a, as a batter or even a spin bowler. Not that there have been many of them. Um, and the other issue is, of course, you know, injury. Um, rotate. You don't rotate batters, do you, in and out of teams, generally, much to the uh, chagrin of, of the, all of the fast bowling fraternity. It's always the bowlers that kind of end up sitting out the odd test match here and there. And, of course, if you make um, your one of your, your... I mean, he's an incredible bowler. If you make one of your best quicks skipper of the side, then he has to play every game, pretty much. Right? You're saying he's playing every every single game. So you've got a five-match series, he's not going to miss one. And And... and we already this Ashes series is condensed in a way that, that that very few have been in the past and you're thinking well you're not going to make five tests you're just not I mean <laughs> depending on how England bat I guess but you know you're not going to make five test matches as a fast bowler at least not without the, the the real risk of injury or just you know being not being able to perform at your very best so um, that's why um, in terms of his credentials as a cricket brain and all the rest of it, I don't know. That's, so I have no idea. You know, I don't know that they obviously think that there's there's something there in terms of a lead as being a leader of men, um, and and that's all good. But you know, it's bloody difficult as a fast bowler to do it. Bob Willis really struggled. It's the only England player I can think of who's got. Who, well, Stuart Broad did it as, as in the T20 game, so you don't have the same physical demands there. Jeff but, Lemon in his piece for the Guardian said that Ray Linwell did it once, and that's that's it for Australian fast bowlers leading there. So I mean, but then it also becomes a self perpetuating thing, doesn't it? That there's just that belief that oh well, well they can't do they it. They just yeah. don't do it. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he he might be the first one to to make a to make a real good fist of it. But but the thing is, Brisbane or whatever, hot day, England back unbelievably well. He's in his in his fifth spell or something, and suddenly goes in the back, and you're looking for a new captain. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of it, it's it's much. 
your vice you're, you're more likely very, you're more, you're more right? likely to miss matches as a, as a as a fast bowler than you are doing any other job in the game of cricket. Yeah, I guess the only, the only thing is is that players now do just seem like they miss more test match than they used to and it's not as much fish like you know Root missed a test match last summer as in 2020 summer and that wasn't a huge issue Stoke stepped in Coley you know is, misses a fair few tests and you know, missed a few for the birth of his child has rested for the first game mm. of the New Zealand series and yeah but that, that's that's very different from missing a game because you've you've ripped your hamstring off the bone or something that's kind of that's that's taking sort of leave of absence that's been planned perhaps or for, for whatever reason as it, that can happen you know, as a, as a fast bowler, and, and, and of course, playing professional sport, anybody can get injured at any time. But your your likelihood of getting a, an unexpected long term injury is is I would say seventy five percent higher as a fast bowler than it is as a as a number four, number five middle order batter. I mean, it's just that's just a fact. What's interesting as well is that we talk about these these guys who who did it briefly as as fast bowlers, like Willis, you know, Linwall, and. Cummins is in the age of playing three formats. He's yeah, he's a key part of that T20 World Cup win as well. So the thing with him is you're just not going to see him play that many. If, yeah, if he does become captain, he's just not going to play that much white ball cricket, is he? They're going to have to rest him. Yeah, but then I guess Australia are kind of they, fine with they, doing they that. Kind of, they are kind of fine doing that and then just playing him in the big tournament, basically. Um, but I, I get the sense that you two are very, very keen to see this see this work. You asked me why why it doesn't happen very often. I just told you why it doesn't happen very often. He, he might he might go on to do it forever and, and everything and be and fine. Also, but, what, what, and also, uh, importantly, <laughs> what 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 are the other options they've got here? Steve Smith is is quite a kind of tantalising one oh, because of the the, the story see, and the that's the, that's the, the thing that I do not understand. That's uh, that's what I don't get. Just make him captain again. Who cares? But do you not think going from one captain who is removed from the time of scandal to another captain well, removed in time the of thing scandal. Is the sca- back to the captain the, who is the scandal is the sc- all of that scandal and the way that it was handled has been scandal handled has been has been of their own making. You know, they 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 blew it up to be kind of like the crime of the century when in fact, you know, a couple of match ban and, and a big old fine would have done it. That it was that's that's cricket Australia. That's Australia actually. That's kind of the Australian Parliament, that's the Australian public that have kind of caused that situation. I don't think anyone would give a, a, a monkeys outside of there if Steve Smith was made captain again he's clearly the right bloke for the job just give it back to him there was always that idea that even when Payne was captain Smith was put in the strings although I felt sorry for Payne on that one actually because every time anything went right it was Steve Smith but any time it all went wrong like Headingley then it was definitely Payne's fault so I felt that he had he was on a hide into nothing but I wonder if that will be the case even if Cummins does get the job whether Smith will be kind of not not captain everything but name but essentially a kind of a joint captain on the field and, and Cummins does the off-field duties, which, you know, are a, a hugely significant part of being a cricket captain these days. You think of the pressure that's been put on Joe Root over the last couple of years, how much of that is is off the field compared to on the field. Except I can imagine, I can imagine a situation whereby, whereby you, you start to, you start to resent that massively. I mean, and again, we're speculating wildly here as to how it's all going to play out. But if I was, if I was the captain, if I was the captain who had to do all the shit jobs, but but wasn't sort of really in charge of what was going on in the field, I wouldn't do that for very long. That would be like, well, sorry, mate, you go, you go and do the press conferences because I've had a gut full of this. As you deal with the latest as, scandal, as, exactly. I'll set the field. Exactly. So you know, I can't see that working at all. Uh, finally then, Taha, would you keep him in the side as wicketkeeper? Warren Watts, Inglis, there's Alex Carey, Sam Whiteman. Matthew Wade's got a bit of an injury, but obviously got all the T20 Cup runs. Uh, um, I honestly haven't seen much of the others in terms of you know, watching them play Red Bull cricket, so I haven't really got a clue. Um, I don't think Tim Bain's done that bad a job as as a as a keeper batter. So 
he I thought he batted quite well against India. I thought he's batted all right in the last couple of years in Test cricket, basically. So, you know, if he's still very much able to do the job, I think. I think Australia's still okay then. I don't think he's that bad. Yeah, I, I people, people, it, people don't people give, don't rate him, but given the same same opportunities, Alex Carey would have would have made a hell of a lot more runs and more of an impact as as a player. I'm I'm pretty sure of that. And he, I guess he's also a, a future captaincy candidate as Kerry is how they see him yeah, as well. Potentially, so I think. I if think you want to start the first, I remember the first time I saw him was over here. Was it in that in the World Cup trial because he got hit? Joffrey hit him, knocked his helmet off, didn't he? In the world. it was there, and I just thought, wow, this guy can really play. Glove work was decent. I think he's, I think he's been kept out. He's been kept out of the team for two years, really, honestly. Uh, so Payne has at least been moved on from the cover of video game Cricket 22, which had to be delayed until December the 2nd to accommodate Payne's resignation. Uh, Pat Cummins has replaced him on the cover, but that's only because he's vice, he's vice captain. That's not uh, evidence of his promotion, Also, we're told. Uh, I spoke to Mike Merrin, Director of Development at Big Ant Studios, about the game. Hi, Mike. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. I suppose we should start with the big news of the week, which is that Cricket 22 has been uh, delayed until uh, December the 2nd. Uh, do you want to fill us in on why? Uh, no, I mean, obviously, it's been an interesting few days. Um, I'm sure that the news has kind of filtered around um, uh, about, you know, what's happened. So we're, we're kind of uh, just really just in the process of making sure that we, we get a game that's obviously as authentic as possible for, for release. Um, so something that actually matches up with what the Ashes is going to be um, and... Yeah, just just to try and make sure that the the public get when we when they go out and they have that first ball of the ashes when they're playing the game, the teams are as they should be. Um, I'll probably say no more than that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I've noticed that the, the one of the more visible changes that has been made is that Tim Payne has obviously come off the cover and Pat Cummins has come on the cover, but we shouldn't take that as ultimate confirmation that Pat Cummins is Australia's next Test captain. That's just because he's vice captain and that's all that's there. <laughs> I mean, that's that's basically we've 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 gone with because obviously we don't know no nobody knows. Um, I mean, I don't even know if the uh, if the Australian selectors know just yet. Um, so yeah, the, the most obvious choice in terms of you know vice captain is is the the one that you put on the front just to you know um, kind of cover everything off and um, and let's face it, he's a good looking guy. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. He's, he's a good guy to have on the front cover video. It's a good point. Um, so let's talk, let's go back to, I guess, the, 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 the start of uh, what was Don Bradman cricket at the time. And because cricket has, a, a, I guess, a patchy history with video games overall in that, you know, a lot of people love Brian Lara cricket or I think Shane Warne cricket as it is in Australia. Uh, but there's not something sort of definitive like FIFA that people sort of seek out every year. What, what were you trying to sort of um, to make happen with uh, Don Brown at the time and now with Cricket 22 that sort of sets it apart from other cricket games? Yeah, I mean, look, the, the key thing back in the in when we when we were doing Bradman, I mean, you got to remember, we when we first started to do the cricket game, we had no licence. So, you know, Don Bradman was not even in our wildest dream something that we would have had as a, as a licence for the game. Um, uh, I mean, we kind of joked about it in terms of what players you might have as the name of it, you know, like your Brian Lara's and Shane Warne and, you know, it's like Don Bradman. Yeah, right, of course. Um, and to pick that up was amazing. But the, the key thing we did when we when we went for it was not thinking about the licences. It was how do you change how you play the game of cricket? Everything had always been that marker on the ground, and we, we wanted to try and make it so that it was the more authentic to the, to the sport. So it's like if you're a batsman, 
um, or a, a batter, as we should say nowadays, the the um, the the ball is your, you know, that's what you want to look at. So you want to look at it as it comes out of the hand of the, of the bowler. So we put the marker effectively around the ball. Um, and that kind of, you know, pretty much revolutionized how you kind of played the sport then. It wasn't like I've got to look at the ground where the ball's going to bounce immediately. I'm looking at where the ball's come from and, and then what it's going to do. Um, and that I thought, you know, at the time it revolutionized exactly what, what, people wanted to see in the sport and certainly from a hardcore fan point of view that that kind of um people that like the sim side of it it, it really you know kind of struck a chord i think um as we've gone through now i think seven cricket games i think it's the seventh one obviously now we're kind of bringing more and more people into it it's it's always been a bit of a niche sport in terms of um computer games and now we're getting a, a bigger audience. Um, obviously, we did Game Pass on Cricket 19, which kind of brought in a lot more casual players. So in Cricket 22, we're trying to make it a lot more accessible. Um, so you've still got that sim side and those kind of controls. But now we're, we're bringing back some of those, old, I suppose, old school, um, more pick up and play kind of uh, elements. So that if you're a bit more of a casual player, you can still, you know, you can still get in and, and, and enjoy the sport as well. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of trying to cater for those kind of both both elements as 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 it's kind of grown as a I suppose the game the games we do has grown as a community. Yeah, that that's because when I played one of the earlier versions, I really liked how I could just sort of pick it up and have some sort of game straight away, while also knowing there were kind of intricacies that I wasn't fully appreciating that I'd get into more as I played more of it. What 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 are the things that have kind of made it even more I guess beginner friendly uh, in in this version? Yeah, I mean, look, one of, one of the key things we've added is for people that have never played a big ant game, we've got a much better um, first-time user experience that we've added, which effectively takes you through all the controls and all the elements um, of, one, teaches you a bit about cricket as much as anything, and also how you, um, you know, how you'll get the best out of the game in terms of how you bowl, how you bat, and that's all kind of there. If you've never played one of our games, that's the first thing that you'll be introduced to if you want to. If you know exactly what you're doing with a big ant, big ant cricket game, you can go in and choose the controls you like and away you go and just and then just play. Um, so, yeah, that's been the key thing is kind of trying to cater for those people that you know, might, might not necessarily be traditional kind of players of our games. I think we've, we've learned as we've done the seven games that, you know, being a bit unkind to ourselves, we, we probably made it quite hard for people to actually get into them. That kind of uh, learning curve uh, is, you know, certainly on the on the earlier ones, it's pretty tough. You know, we kind of go here, here's the game, off you go. And there's, you know, there's, you, you know, you have to kind of find your own way, sort of, you know, thrown into the fire a little bit in terms of those earlier games. So that's really what we're trying to do is kind of make sure that people get the, the most out of it now in terms of kind of feeling like they may be floundering a little bit. Yeah, okay. And what one of the features I noticed that's new or possibly expanded for this game is the career mode. Is that right? So, so what... Well, to try and sort of describe that is it where are you starting from are you sort of a, a third 11 club cricketer sort of getting up to to test cricket or or, or how does that work yeah so you you start in a club club cricket scenario but we kind of we start you off again in terms of this is to try and make sure that it's a little bit more accessible you're you're coming in as probably one of those um players that uh i suppose is a star player but at a club level mm-hmm. so you come in you're already kind of a little bit known you've got some skills um it's not like your bottom bottom level not knowing what you're doing it's so you should be able to go into that club level and be you know a, a, a kind of a person that should be able to get you know the odd 20 or 30 runs maybe even a half century 
um, pretty quickly um, if you're batting and, you know, getting wickets fairly early on. Um, and so the, the idea is that we, we kind of bring you in and again, you're not floundering at that level. Then as you progress, you might get the offer of a captaincy or progress to that, um, you know, the state side or, or county. Um, that's when it starts to get that little bit more difficult and you're kind of then trying to establish yourself in the team rather than being brought in as, hey, this is a guy that, you know, could make a difference to us as a club. And that's where you kind of start. And we've we put um, cutscenes in there to kind of immerse you in that kind of scenario as well. So I'm not going to say it's a story mode, but it's, uh, it's definitely an immersive career that kind of... Um, you know, takes you through what you're trying to do. Whereas our old ones were, um, you know, is a club cricket, play a match, next week, play a match, next week, play a match. This is, you know, it kind of takes you through and there's now each week you might go and do gym sessions and there's actually now gym mini games. So you do treadmill mini games and um, there's yoga and all sorts of stuff. I think there's about seven mini games that we've added there in terms of gym stuff that will um, allow you to increase your skills as you're playing. Um, you've then got, the net sessions that you do, which also increase skills. Um, we've, we've even got press conferences, um, man of the match awards, all those kind of things as you go through your career. Um, they'll make a difference of whether you're going to, you know, how you answer some of the press conference things may make a difference to whether you become a captain, whether or not you're, you know, you're, you're valued enough in the team to become captain. And increasing skill levels, that in a way gives you sort of greater margin for error and reaction time when, when you're sort of facing the, the the better bowls that you get as you go through the games is that kind of the idea yeah so they effectively you you the way the skills work is that you, you can only assign so many to certain areas of your um your your batting or bowling so you're going to have some weaknesses that you need to work on as you go through um you know whether or not you're not great against spin or you're not good back foot or you know there'll be different things that you you have to work on within your skills to try and build those up to make sure that the bowlers don't ex- exploit your weaknesses. Right, that's fascinating. And am I, am I right in thinking that uh, as lots of our listeners will be keen to hear and some will be dismayed, you, you added the 100 to this game, is that right? Yes, yeah, 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 the 100's in there. Um, I, I, Funny enough, I mean, it's, it's obviously over in Australia, we, we had it on the TV, it was here, um, uh, you know, shown, I think, pretty much every night We that there was a game it was on. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of, it kind of for us, it felt like it was well received. Obviously, the big bash here is massive for uh, for for the big bash league. So I think it was intriguing for us to see how the ECB have have decided to kind of come out with something a bit new and and um, and experiment with the sport a little bit. Makes it interesting for us because from a a, a a computer game point of view and the AI, you've suddenly got another game mode, another style that you've got to try and work out how the tactics work. And how the AI reacts to that. So, you know, I think I've talked before to people that there's not many sports games. In fact, I don't know any sports games that would go out and have to have AI that has to cope with five day test matches down to, you know, a, a hundred ball, but, uh, you know, a five ball over. So I would kind of even call them overs now, is it? It's five balls. Sets, they call them, I think, yeah. Sets, that's it, sets. Um, and, you know, it's that. So trying to deal with that and how you actually try and make it a fun game is an interesting um sort of a, a thing we have to deal with so yeah they just threw another mi- never one in the mix this time we've got the 100 there we've also got cpl um for the t20 tournaments for the west indies and we've got big bash which is the australian one that's fascinating okay and because and i think I, I remember reading that the in the the shorter formats as well you've managed to tweak it so it is 
kind of easier to hit a six but there's is, is that right martin yeah so there's effectively what we have is we've got a confidence element that's there so basically if you're going into a test match those confidence levels will be basically tailored based on the fact that a red ball is likely to move more and all those kind of things so you 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 have to get yourself more settled at the crease um if you go into a test match and you start trying to trying to whack the ball around that that's more likely that you're going to get a get an edge the ball's moving more um and so that you have to be more cautious when we go into those shorter form games we we effectively go well you're, you're a glenn maxwell or uh um trying to think of maybe a, a Johnny Bairstow or something that might just go in and, and you know, or Josh Butler, that they want to go in and they're, they're pretty much looking for, you know, boundaries from the off. Um, and so we kind of allow that kind of little bit of like confidence because they're going to the crease kind of going, this is what we're going to do. And so that means that it's a little easier for you to, to, to go for your shots from the beginning. You still have to be a bit cautious, mm-hmm. um, but because obviously, again, the ball's not moving as much. So effectively, the ball quality is there's a number to do with the ball quality that will um, effectively, if that if that number's high because the delivery from the bowler is is a good delivery. Um, so if it's got you know movement or maybe it's even going to hit some, you know, a crack on the pitch and things like that, those things will add up um, and affect your likelihood of of being able to hit a good shot based on again, as I said, timing, shot choice, and footwork. They're kind of the three key things from a from a batter point of view. Um, if you get those three things right, then the delivery from the the bowler has to be exceptional for you then to get out essentially. Yeah. So, but there is still a chance that you could. There's you know sometimes there's going to be deliveries that doesn't matter. You know you know you're going to get the odd jaffer that just gets you and that's it. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting because obviously you talked at the beginning about how you've, you've made this game in particular more accessible. I feel like fans of or listeners of this podcast will he'll be mostly cricket badges will just be like it, it feels like you guys who've, who've, who've made the game are all sort of cricket nuts yourself basically and have tried to make something that like as closely assimilates cricket as possible while it's still done with the controller so, so all, all the factors that come into play while you're playing cricket those should somehow influence how you play the game is, is that is that sort of fair yeah that is fair i mean you know, it, it's everything comes from you know from the weather um you know it's you know is it cloudy is it not you know we've even got things like humidity in the air that affects whether or not clouds come in and things like that so um you know wind will affect things um so all these little nuances that are there you know add add up to you know as i say the key thing is as a player you've got to make a choice on if you think what's being bowled at you needs to be defended against or whether you can hit you know go for it and hit a six um and you've got to you know, pretty much a you know a split second decision to make make you make your mind up on some of those. Uh, Cricket Twenty Two is out on Thursday, December the second, on PlayStation Four and Five, Xbox One, and Series X slash S and PC. The latest from Big Ant, the biggest name in cricket simulations. Cricket Twenty Two gives you unprecedented depth with new controls, gameplay, a narrative-driven career mode, a new commentary team, and all new com- team and competition licenses. Play along with this year's Ashes competition. Take part in the 100 or move through the ranks to represent your nation at the highest level. Cricket 22 has it all. And remember, it is out very, very soon. Uh, in other Ashes news, uh, Bryden Cars has been ruled out of the Lions tour with a knee injury, which is potentially quite an important development for England, Joe. He, he was one of those few bowlers in that backup squad uh, with the kind of pace who could come in and make a difference possibly. 
On other Ashes developments, uh, England have begun their first of two warm-up games against England Lions, but after a bit of rain, Haseeb Mead has made his way to 53 not out, Joe, which is potentially significant. It is, yeah. We've talked about how these couple of warm-up games are potentially kind of a, a, a playoff between Crawley and Hamid to open alongside Burns. I think you could even read into the fact that Hamid is is opening, that he's kind of in pole position at, at this point, which I think he should be. I know there's a lot of talk about his technique and how he'll go against the quicks in Australia um, and that Crawley might potentially be more suited to that. But I think to, to go with Crawley, who's barely made a run for, for a year, over Hamid, who's been in good nick just come back into the side based on something that may or may not happen doesn't make any sense to me I mean I know his record against pace is is not good over his career but players also do rise to the occasion if we do think Hamid is is potentially a a proper test match opener of real class you can do this in the long run then you you don't pick and choose the series that you play him you you play him and, and see how he goes and if it doesn't work out so be it but I think he absolutely deserves that chance and it's good to see him making some runs. I have to say I've just seen a scorecard. He might have been dropped eight times. He might have played terribly. But anyway, he's got he's got some runs. He's he's 50 not out. Uh, and yeah, I think that, that is a significant in, in a bit of a... These games are not going to be hugely competitive just by the very nature of them. But that's a, that's a significant innings um, to kick off the tour. Um, the other one in, that, that will be interesting to see tomorrow is... Is Ollie Pope. Bairstow's not playing because the T20 World Cup players are still in quarantine. There's some suggestions that Bairstow might be ahead of Pope in the pecking order in that Bairstow was apparently lined up to play that final test against India before it got cancelled above Pope, which to me is is madness. And and if that is the way they were thinking at that stage, they could see Bairstow's century out, out there last time and think he's the he's the player. I think that would be an entirely wrong-headed decision. Um so I really hope Pope gets some runs as well and nails down that spot because, yeah, he should be batting six in this, in this England yeah, side. Yeah, I mean, the last time Ollie Pope played in, in similar conditions was the South Africa trip, wasn't it? And he, he played magnificently down there. Um, you know, it's, it's a place where, where there is much less lateral movement, where that whole um, argument around off-stump guards and all the rest of it um, make less of a difference. Ball isn't moving sideways, isn't swinging, isn't going to move off the seam, um, and he's he's a damn good player. Um, so there you go. And as Ben's pointed out before uh, on this podcast, he's a player who once he gets in makes big big scores in in county cricket at least. We haven't seen that in Test cricket yet, but that is something that's going to be invaluable in Australia. That once you get in, you stay in and you you bat for a, a long long time. Yeah, the other thing that's interesting is is Ben Stokes Carter to come in at five tomorrow. His first sort of semi competitive uh, hit since uh, since returning. Uh, and the the other thing on Hamid as well. Is just that um, you know that Australia pitchers have these have this reputation of you know being you know lightning quick you know bouncing from a length up over your head and that sort of thing, but that's not really what they've been like for for quite a long time. Like like actually they can be quite slow and low or at least just sort of like moderately paced. And actually you know th- this worry that you know Hamid's going to have to like not going to be able to get on the front foot at all and is going to play everything up around his eyes is, is a bit of an over exaggeration, mm. I think. And and I and I don't see that being a massive problem for him either. Do you I know what technique, technique nope. was? Do you think there's been too much made of that? Yep. Fair enough. Joe, your moment of the week. Uh, my moment of the week was A.B. de Villiers retiring, um, which oddly sort of took me by surprise slightly. I just thought he would play T20 forever, like like Chris Gale. But um, he's talked in the past about um, kind of getting a bit worn out by the game at different points. And he kind of alluded to that in his in his tweet. I played the game with pure enjoyment and unbridled enthusiasm now at the age of 37. That flame no longer burns so brightly. So, you know, fair enough. He's he's done his bit. But I think it's in me by surprise partly because 
it's always seemed to me there's a kind of agelessness to him, partly because the way he plays is is so modern or kind of even still now kind of ahead of the curve in some ways. Um, but also just because his his skill level just has hardly dropped at all. You just feel like he could carry on for, for well, for as long as he wanted, um, uh, which I guess he has. Well, he has, yeah. But I was going to say that I kind of, it came as a surprise to me because I kind of, I'd already, I'd already thought he'd, he'd, he'd retired. You know what I mean? It kind of, well, I play, can see why it came as a surprise well, then. But, so, well, but playing, playing T20 cricket only really feels like retirement to me anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's kind of like, that. you're not really doing the gig there. You're just kind of, <laughs> you're, flo- you're floating around, you're smashing a few. I, I felt um, the same way, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm with you, Taha, good. Because it, it felt like, for me, it was kind of, uh, so he obviously retired from international cricket three years ago, but there was always that kind of, oh, will he, won't he come back? And that was kind of the thing where it's like, oh, he's, maybe he's got one last kind of World Cup or something in him. And when they kind of said, there's not going to be any more World Cups, that kind of thing, that kind of felt like, okay, that's the end. And I haven't really, you know, I haven't really paid that close attention to him since that, basically, just because it kind of, that, that felt like the, the chapter was closed. Basically. Sure, but every, even in that kind of state of semi-retirement, he still plays just the odd unbelievable innings in the IPL, or well, more than the odd innings. But, and it also struck me when he retired, you see this even during his career, like the, the reverence that, his contemporaries have for him and not just like oh he's a really good player but they hold him in a kind of awe and you see that with even Coley who's basically kind of a fanboy of his and I think there are very few cricketers in my lifetime that have had that kind of effect on their colleagues on their opponents and their teammates I think like maybe Lara Tendulkar but not not many who play other players who can do extraordinary things themselves just like this guy is unbelievable and you see that when they're when they're watching him on the sidelines and he pulls off a shot that is just kind of scarcely believable and you yeah. see the expression on their face. And that that's something that I find stunning, that you can be a sportsman at the very top of your game, playing at the elite level, and still see someone that blows you away. And there's, there's very few players, I think, who fall into that category. Yeah, I think a lot of those current, you know, those England white ball guys who all play that certain way, a lot of them talks about De Villiers as that, as that one guy who was sort of on another level. Um, and I was going to say, Butch, obviously... I was looking back. I thought I was thinking they must have played together, and you just overlapped. So your we did overlap. Your penultimate test got, match was his test debut. Durban, yeah, is that right? Durban yeah. or Centurion? Was it? So he opened the batting on debut. Did he? And okay. then he got he got, obviously left an indelible mark on my on, on me. <laughs> then he kept <laughs> wicket and was batting at seven, where he scored a half century. Okay. In, in what would have been your See, one guess. of my favourite moments post post career actually involves A.B. de Villiers and I, and I hope and I apologise to him if I'm talking in, in any way out of turn but we, it was one of my jaunts to the IPL with with Sky Sports back in I might have been 2015 or 2016 As, and I was roving reporter and we had a we were staying in Bangalore obviously he's playing for RCB and we had a bit of a, a you know we met up and had a drink sort of late into the night after one of the RCB games and walking back to the hotel with AB. And he, t- he said to me, completely unsolicited, he said, he said it's so nice to, to, to have a drink with you, Bush. And I said, oh, that's, that's nice, mate. It's good to, good to see you too. He said, when I was in the backyard with, my, with the, you know, the, the youngsters, he said, my brother's back at home. He said, I, always used, I used to be Mark Butcher, he said. <laughs> and I just looked at him like, how many beers have you had? type thing and I kind of remember going out and I was thinking he actually bloody said that <laughs> I 
was utterly ridiculous. I said he probably could have batted better than me left-handed if he wanted to. So he's not. He's not one of those that's got you confused with Mark Boucher. Yeah, maybe, maybe he is as well. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was that late in the night. But yeah, no, the most extraordinary thing. So there you go. Cheers, cheers, AB. Was he one of those players that? I mean, you couldn't really remember playing alongside him in debut, but was he one of those players that as, as soon as you saw him, you were like, this guy is special? Or did that develop over... Not at all. He, but he came, he came with, a, with a huge, huge reputation at the time. It was kind of like, you know, everyone was talking about... Everyone in South Africa was talking about this kid. Now he's going to... You know, he runs a, run, a, sun, a sub 10 second 100 metres and can play tennis and swims like a fish and all the rest. He's just it's like this. Ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly all of that sort of stuff. So we were all quite keen to kind of... Kind of keen to um to send him back without any runs or whatever as you as you try to ruin youngsters when they come into to, to opposition teams against you which is exactly the way that it should be um and then you know and then you know, so by by then by 2015 16 whenever it was when i was out in india he was a you know he was a megastar by then so i'd sort of watched seen his career from afar remember that uh, that that incredible World Cup was it 2015, wasn't it? When he just he averaged about 95, a strike rate of like 150. I think. Yeah, yeah, it was just just unbelievable. And there, there was a, and it sparked off all those ridiculous conversations about size of bats and grounds and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just like, for Christ's sake, people, just watch this guy and enjoy genius when you when you're watching it. You know, sometimes bowling attacks aren't aren't good enough to con, con, to to compete with guys like this. And if it was all about the bats, then everybody would be doing what he does, and nobody did. Taha, your moment of the week? Uh, my moment was uh, the sort of announcement of Pakistan hosting the um, 2025 Champions Trophy. Um, they haven't hosted a tournament since the 96 World Cup. Uh, they were sort of meant to co-host the 2011 one that lost that to security concerns. And, you know, it's just great news. A uh, country that's constantly has this battle over hosting cricket has done for pretty much this whole century. Um, you know, you've got the recent blows where New Zealand pulled out and the ECB did their thing. Um, so just, just quite a nice boost. Um, I hope it happens. Fingers crossed it happens. A lot can, you know, you know, Australia meant to tour next March and you still hope that happens. So, you know, looking ahead to four years, you don't really know what's, what's going to happen. But yeah, I thought that was just a, a nice little thing. And there's obviously the, the murmuring is that you'd expect in India of, oh, are we going to go? I'm not sure we'll go. Um, who knows how that will play out? But I think it's it's kind of uncharacteristically brave on the ICC's part to have given Pakistan this this tournament because they will have known exactly what the reaction would be in India, and the ICC often suffer accusations that they will just go along with whatever India want because they, in many ways, kind of dominate the game in terms of their, their kind of financial clout and the IPL and all the other bits that come along with Indian cricket. So it's it's good to see the ICC actually doing what is right and it is it is Pakistan's turn and it's absolutely right that they should be able to host uh these kind of tournaments. And there's got to be kind of a respect for what the PCB have done for the like the last few years that the sort of the efforts they go through to you know to have people come over the sort of security that teams are provided with. Um and also it kind of you know, with with Ramiz Raja coming in as chair, you know he's like he's not he's not going to back down, and he's kind of you know when New Zealand pulled out, when England pulled out, he you know he questioned it and he was public with it, and I just feel like you know you kind of need that, you kind of need someone there to be like, well, look, we're doing everything. Um, there's kind of almost no reason for us to not be 
hosting events or hosting international countries, you know. And they feel that I know it didn't work out on the end of the T20 World Cup, but it feels like there's a real buzz around Pakistani cricket at the moment. Um, obviously, the fans are always on board, but actually around the whole thing, uh, Rami Zaj was also talking about them wanting to be the the to basically do a, a women's uh, PSL, which if they beat the IPL to the punch after all the kind of posturing over that for a few years, that that would be quite a thing in itself as well. There, Rami Zaj obviously is. He wants to get things done and he's going to say what he thinks and he's not just going to kind of toe the line. Um, and he seems to be making quite an impact already. And also, you should probably credit Wazim Khan for the job he did uh, whilst he was there as well. Um, they've had some, yeah, strong personalities, some good people in, in high positions and it's it's having an effect. Yeah, uh, I guess India can't be too disheartened by the announcement considering how much cricket they are going to be hosting. They, so they're, they're going to host, I think, four global tournaments in eight years. So, And also there are just so many tournaments. So they, India have got the 2023 World Cup, 2026 T20 World Cup, 2029 Champions Trophy and 2031 World Cup. And there is a global event every year from, well, I mean, from this year until... 2031 and then who knows what's going to happen so it makes such a challenge for teams who have to sort of regenerate and bring in new players there is no time to sort of take stock and plan for the next event because the next event is always at most sort of 18 months away um but yeah let's get on finally i suppose to some of the actual cricket that was played and that we watched this week uh, <laughs> uh india beat new zealand 3-0 in a t20i series new zealand looked exhausted and kind of like they didn't want to be there which they probably didn't uh, Rohit Sharma scored lots of runs and R. Ashwin bowled well. I'm not sure how much more there is to say about the series. Uh, I know it was discussed a bit last week, but I'm looking forward to the tests. Kara Hall has been reportedly ruled out with versus with, in, with injury, which means that for the first game, India will be without Rohit Sharma, Kara Hall, Rishabh Pant, Virat Kohli, Jasper and Mohamed Shami. Uh, New Zealand should be licking their lips, right, Butch? Ah, yeah. Yeah, they should be. I mean, those those guys have been on the road for, for a long old time and they're kind of, as as you said, they were they were less than enthusiastic or just, you know, they didn't have enough petrol in the tank to kind of get themselves up for, for more 2020 after another disappointment in a in a world final. But um, but they're very proudly world test champions and uh, and we'll be looking, I'm sure they'll be 100% um, at uh, at India and also looking at them thinking, well, you know, no row hit at the top of the order. That's that's huge for any visiting side. However, it does it does throw up the tantalising prospect of some of the undercard of Indian India's batting um, getting a chance to showcase itself because, boy, those guys, they have to make some runs and it, and it looks as though they're never going to play, doesn't it? I mean, Ajinkya Rahani keeps his place in the side because he's going to be captain. But people like Shreya Sire and uh, Shubman Gill will be back in the side. Um, Suri Kumar Yadav perhaps might find his way into the team. Um, so there, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of very, very good young players. And they're not so young now who have had to wait a long time to get a chance. Um, and, um, you know, what better better time to do it? You do it against opposition who are very, very highly rated. You're at home yourselves. Um, and you and you try to take the opportunity to keep some of the old boys out of the team. Mm. Uh, Sri Lanka and West Indies have just begun their test series. Dimith Karunaratne hits 100 on day one. He averages more than 60 in tests since the start of 2020. And his past five scores read 75, 244, 118, 66 and 147 which is quite good. Uh, Vincent, on the first day with West Indies debutante, Jeremy Solazano hospitalised after a blow on the head at short leg. Uh, scans have shown no structural damage, which is good, but he's been replaced by Shy Hope, uh, a debut to forget, I guess. Uh, the, the Women's World Cup qualifier is underway. There have been a few positive COVID tests in a couple of camps, so fingers crossed that can all proceed, but it seems like Sri Lanka had 
the most cases and they are playing their first game at the moment. Uh, and we had a sizable shock with Bangladesh beating Pakistan. Ramana Ahmed, who's a gun cricketer, uh, hit an unbeaten 50 as Bangladesh hit 42 off the last four and a half overs to to chase uh, down just, o- just over 200. That could be quite a significant result. Uh, and uh, pa- Pakistan beat Bangladesh 3-0 in a three-match T20I series, which is, again, broadly pointless, but it did include my moment of the week uh, at the end of the third game. Pakistan made a bit of a meal of a low chase, uh, but needed eight to win off the last. Marmadulla, the captain, brings himself on for his first bowl of the game, takes three weeks and five balls, but concedes a six, so it's two needed off one. Then, uh, Mohamed Nawaz is in to face his first ball. He's... He looks ready to face, but Marmadula sort of catches him a bit off guard by bowling it from behind the stumps, as, you know, lots of cricketers do. Uh, Nawaz just sort of, like, pulls out of his stance just about after the ball is pitched, lets it just smash into his stumps. Uh, and so you think, I mean, that Bangladesh should have won that. I mean, it's, 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 but, but the umpire says he has to re-bowl it, and Nawaz just drives it through the covers for four. So I, 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 I was fuming, uh, and no one else was watching, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Ben, we've got conjoining officers here and Ben stuck his head through the door to tell us in a state of high excitement what was going on and we just ushered him out. (laughs) Anyway, that's it for today's show. Thanks very much for listening uh, and if you have enjoyed listening, please uh, tell your friends, uh, subscribe and listen and leave us a nice, maybe even a five-star review on the app of your choice. Cheers. Podcast Network.